Hello, my lovelies. It's uh, Chappie, the British butler. It's Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. And uh, believe it or not, we've reached the heady heights of episode 89. Yes, it's 89. It's our 89th episode today. And it's Saturday, and it's a lovely, beautiful uh, spring day here. Um, lots of flowers are blooming. Lots of birds are chirping. I have a uh, jaunt in my step, to say the least. And also, it's Eurovision Day. So for those of you who do not know what Eurovision is, I think most countries are actually uh, now in the uh, under the blanket of Eurovision, uh, even though they're not even in Europe. Uh, but I believe we have Israel, Australia. I don't think the US has quite uh, moved into the whole Eurovision camp, uh, camp being the operative word, uh, quite yet. Uh, but it's, it, it may come. It may come uh, over the course of the uh, next couple of years here. But, uh, you know, if you I hope you've got like tight lederhosen on, maybe a cat suit, uh, feathers coming out of every orifice, darlings. I mean, that's the sort of look that you need for Eurovision. Uh, maybe uh, maybe a slightly dodgy moustache, permed hair, uh, you know, different color moustache to your hair, uh, your main hair is, is, is a key. Uh, so you want blonde with a really sort of dark black moustache. That's the key. And that is exactly what I'm sporting today. If you want to imagine what your Durhurst, your Durhurst Butlerhurst looks like today, it's, 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 a, it's a perm with a, with, a, with a sort of red Barbarossa moustache. Absolutely delicious. That's, that's the look today. So nothing's out of place when it comes to uh, what you should wear for Eurovision. I mean, think ABBA and you think Eurovision. I mean, they were one of the standout acts. Waterloo, ABBA, one of the standout acts. Uh, but, you know, the UK hasn't had much success over the years. Many, buddy, many people think it's uh, sort of slightly Machiavellian, lots of shenanigans going on behind the scenes because the Germans and French would never, 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 I tell you, never on the beaches, never, never let the British or the UK entry win. Uh, Eurovision. It's happened a couple of times, uh, but here I am, your butler. I'm like a puppet on a string today for you, the listener, uh, for the course of the next hour. A little bit longer if you listen to the musical edition, and we'll be throwing in a few Eurovision uh, classics, or, um, or I don't know if you'd call them classics, uh, maybe things that you may want to recycle or put on the compost. If indeed some of these things are so sort of metallic, so shiny, uh, I don't think they could ever reach the compost. Is is nigh on impossible, really, because uh, some of these uh, some of these items are probably slightly radioactive. I mean, some of the outfits are. It looks like it's just come come out of the uh, Chernobyl sarcophagus. Uh, some of these fluorescent outfits could could well be uh, could well be from under under the tundra, and uh, and you do not have to walk by near possibly near a Geiger counter or anything along those lines. But that's the show today. So we have a little bit of an introduction to Eurovision. Uh, we have some Eurovision music on the musical edition of the podcast. Uh, and then we have our usual uh, usual shenanigans, a little bit of trumpet trombone. And, um, and that's, uh, that's what we have uh, over the course of the day. That is the map of the show. If you're, if you're into podcast orienteering, then uh, follow the, the, the map that your dear host, Chappie, will provide to you over the next hour. Yes, it's Chappie. <laughs> there we go. 
So here we go. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not I'm not quite as goofy as this. I'm not sort of <laughs> popper doodle weasel, anything like that. Um, but anyway, so here we are on the podcast, and uh, all right, some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today. Uh, so yeah, just to recap from yesterday, dog leash ab workout, uh, and also Oliver the Gardener featured heavily. So listening to episode 88 uh, on uh, all of the different portals. I mean, you can, if you li- lift a conch shell, make sure you make the con- conch chowder first. But if you lift a conch shell up to the air, you can hear Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. You know, you hear the ocean washing over me, which is rather nice, really. I mean, it, it, it's a lovely feeling of sand and water flowing over my uh, podcasting uh, body. Um, but uh, you can hear me for a conch shell. And that, that's one of the platforms, but also Apple Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, all of those. Breaker, or is that what they do in Alcatraz? I don't know. So there we go. That's the, uh, that, is the, uh, that is the way you can listen. But some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today is there's a fluffy marshmallowy delight that I want to talk about. Uh, I also want to talk, talk about spring petal foraging elixirs. Um, my use of single-use plastic bags, I'm a little bit unhappy about it. Uh, replacement of nostalgic bananas. I mean, it, it's so fun-packed today, absolutely fun-packed. Um, forget snooze alarms, uh, the problem with hairy back in pool season. Uh, also, uh, subliminal messages in chalk. I mean, again, these are things that may or may not be occurring. So don't hold me to it. Please don't hold me to it. The shamrock on top of my coffee, when I do have coffee. A lot harder to do a shamrock on, on tea. And also cheese, the wonders of cheese. Uh, also, uh, we'll be playing a game of Guess What's in My Dryer. Uh, that's uh, coming along the show today, uh, so that that'll that'll keep you probably pretty packed uh, packed to the rafters here, without a doubt. We did have a historical Tinder yesterday. It was uh, Christian the Seventh's obsession with his own penis. Um, we also talked about night. Uh That was uh, that was basically uh, Line of Duty, the UK TV show they guy we made. Uh, don't get too drunk inside pubs, Britons are told. I mean that's like a red rag to a bull, basically. Um, also, um, we have uh, we we have the naughty noble Sir Nabas. We never talked about him. He's a big guy who's etched in chalk. He's etched in chalk on a hillside in the UK, and he's got a rather large dingy dong, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, also, bakery adds burglar face to cookies. Uh, if you want to get ahead, ditch your creativity. Also, who wants to be king of St Michael's Mount? That's the little mount that where the sea comes in. There's a causeway. You can only get to it during low tide. Uh, there's a very creepy uh, show on uh, HBO. I think it was on the UK as well, on Sky Atlantic. It was uh, had Jude Law in. And that was all set around a causeway. And a, and a, and a, and a sort of family a unit, a whole village that was uh, caught on this causeway. And it was a little bit cult. It was a little bit like the Wicker Man. Uh, it, was, uh, it was very, very scary indeed. Well worth a, well worth a look. Um, also, uh, townies leave their cares behind and buy up the woods. I've always wanted to live in a wood. And how naked yoga could possibly transform your life. We mentioned Trump or Trombone. I don't think I mentioned about the woman who got 
hit in the face with a 10 pound log of prepackaged meat. Uh, that'll be uh, firing along the way. And if you could only pick two pills, two pills, what would they be? I'm going to give you the options and the pills later. And that's something to think about. Also, we're going to be examining the seven chakras uh, versus uh, the seven parts of a uh, dog's body. Um, uh, I, this podcast isn't a dog's body by any means. It's very neatly put together, very organized and, uh, and very stylized. And everything's put on a spreadsheet. Okay, it's this time on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese where we, uh, we're looking at some chakras today. The different chakras. Uh, first up, so we're looking at the, uh, the different, uh, the seven chakras. Uh, that's that's the uh, that's the key basically it's the seven chakras so we have the anja third eye we have the sahara sahara crown the anahata heart the vizuda throat the manipura solar plexus the sathana chakra and the muladhara root there we have the seven chakras. I don't know if I have the third eye. Um, I think my neck's a little bit thicker than this uh, this lady here who's uh, cross-legged. I mean, I do find it very difficult to sit cross-legged these days as well. I sort of topple over onto my head. I think my biggest issue, it could be the Anahata heart and the Manipura is where I'm having issues in the solar plexus. We'll let the sound of these Tibetan monks wash over us to ease our ills. Think about which chakra is giving you some issues today. It's causing you some problems. It's nothing that a good downward dog wouldn't fix. So we go from monks chanting to like a little lullaby. Just relax. I know the podcast probably sends you to sleep anyway. But uh, we go from the seven chakras to the five essential barkadoodle elements of the corgi. Number one, the fun detection organs. Number two, the kibble reception. And of course, number three, the proud tuft. And then we've got four little, right at the bottom here, stumpers. And then, most importantly, the fluffy rump. Other acceptable terms are the babadigadink, the sass quadrant, or indeed, the pooper shooter. The camp commandant of all musical TV competitions. Forget Simon Cowell's tight white shirt and uh, chest rug hanging out. The most campus thing on television every year is the Eurovision. In 1968, Spain's song titled La 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 contained no fewer than 138 La's and it won. A rule introduced in 1966 that a song must be performed in one of the official languages of the participating country. Number three, the contest is broadcast around five different continents. 
Number four, no country ever to perform second on the final night has ever gone on to win the contest. The United Kingdom gave ABBA nul, nul point for its performance in 1974 Waterloo. The longest running losers are the Cypriots, having never made the top four. And so, okay, we have some of the craziest performances. We have Lordy, Hard Rock Hallelujah in 2006, being the only hard rock heavy metal band to have won the contest. How can we forget these terrifying creatures? If it wasn't the monster masks, the horror elements, it was definitely the insane whiplash we experienced. It kept us up all night. And we have Verka, Sedusha, Dancing Lasha, Tumbai, Ukraine, 2007. I don't think this catchy tune or the uh, aluminium or aluminum outfits have ever left our minds. If it was the Tin Man lost his way from the Yellow Brick Road and stumbled into an eccentric nightclub with his Tin Man friends, that's our personal favourite. Dustin the Turkey, Alain Duzepoint. I think we don't have to be reminding of this cringeworthy performance, but we thought we had to mention it. Though Iceland uh, remains the most successful Euro- sorry, Ireland remains the m- most successful Eurovision nation with a record of seven wins. For good reason, Dustin uh, make it past the semi-finals in 2008. Sunstroke Project and Ola Terra run away Moldova. Though the vocals were pretty standard for the Eurovision. It was seriously catchy sax instrumental that made this tune stand ahead for a long time. I think we tried to mimic his dance moves while pretending to play the sax. The fiddle player must have suffered some serious dizziness after the performance too. And then we have Bakushka, Party for Everybody, from the Russians in 2012. Ah, the grannies from Buranova. We all know and love Bakushkas. Babushkas even. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) In one way or another, the performance starts with the grannies baking cookies and singing a sweet song, as grandmothers do. And then the beat drops. They disperse from the kitchen and begin syncopated bopping, swaying, and elaborate arm movements inspiring enough to learn some Russian. I think we all want to party with those grannies. And then we have Cesar, It's My Life, from the Romanians in 2013. Though mostly naked backup dancers and Eurovision pyrotechnics are standard, this opera-esque banger definitely took us by surprise. If it wasn't the mood change of the song, it was definitely the sudden levitation. If you're listening on the musical edition, make sure you have some aloe vera ready, because we're going to play the sax guy and a little bit of sunstroke. Eurovision's Iceland are through to the final despite COVID enforced absence. Ireland are through to this year's Eurovision final despite being forced to pull out of this week's live shows following a positive coronavirus test. And I, I don't think I can ever pronounce this name. It's Dial Og Gangamagniel did not perform live at Thursday's second semi final in Rotterdam but was still voted through along with nine other countries. Uh, so. <laughs> so they're actually performing. So Dio Og Gaimagnio will not perform live. Uh, one of the six members tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, a rehearsal performance of the song's 10 years was shown uh, during Thursday's semi-final. Uh, they were considered favourites to win last year's competition before they were cancelled due to the global pandemic. I'm wondering if they. Uh, I'm wondering if they're using the same song, just recycling the same song they did last year. But I tell you something. It's a catchy little disco number. So it's now time for another education in etiquette. We have the krillins and corsets. So it's fashion etiquette today. Krillins and corsets. 
The Victorians firmly believed in the in a importance of wearing the appropriate clothing at every occasion. And while in the early part of the 19th century, Jane Austen's women's dresses were fairly simple, by the time of the Victorians, the pendulum has swung back to favor elaborate, refined, and embellished attire. The average girl needed many styles of dress. The average gal needed many styles of dresses stashed in a closet, including dresses for balls, dinners, walks, and carriage rides. In addition to country and evening dresses, strict rules established how long one was to wear the black uh, when a morning of a husband, father, sibling, and even the in-laws. Undoubtedly, the most famously ridiculous item of the Victorian woman's wardrobe was the curling, as a substitute for layers of heavy petticoats. These wide, steel-constructed domed cages helped women's skirts uh, far from their legs. Such devices made it easy to use the chamber port, perhaps, but manoeuvring into small spaces became a challenge. There no hiding under the stairs. A woman also had to relearn how to sit elegantly. Nevertheless, it was popular fashion and every fine upper-class lady had one. Later in the century, fashion favoured crinolettes, which propped up just the rear of the dress. But perhaps no other article of clothing better represented Victorians than the corset, which was essential for Victorian women. These tight-fitting undergarments helped one stay erect <clears throat> and even represented a sense of self-respect. Indeed, corsets were ubiquitous for women across class. They were even standard in prisons and workhouses. Some physicians at the time argued that women needed the corset for health reasons to support their internal organs. So we really, uh, we should have done something differently during these lockdowns at the start of the pandemic. I know everybody was making uh, sourdough and banana bread and everything else, but something was long forgotten that's much easier than banana bread and sourdough to make. And I've rediscovered it. And it's just not common or garden, the original version. It's a little word that I like to add and want to add to this, home style. So... I want to reintroduce the delights, the delicious delectation of fluffy Rice Kiss Krispie Treats. Fluffy Rice Krispie Treats. But the, the key here is not the original version. So not the original. You have to make it home style. This is where you're basically adding a whole wheelbarrow load of marshmallows. Extra marshmallows. If you think you have enough marshmallows, add more. That's the key. Is marshmallows and that chewiness through the whole of the Rice Krispie Treat. I had one the other day, and I, I honestly thought I was in a fluffy marshmallow heaven world. I thought I had turned into the stay puffed marshmallow man from Ghostbusters. I was ready to defeat the Ghostbusters. That's how much of a high I was on from eating this marshmallow treat. So forget your banana bread. Forget your, uh, you know, forget your oat cookies. Forget the sourdough. Marshmallow home style. Home style fluffy marshmallow treats are the absolute key to joy and happiness when it comes to a sweet dessert delight. I know, I mean, I know I wax lyrical on many things on this, uh, on this podcast. But stirring in the marshmallows as they start to melt and get fluffier, huge marshmallows. And then when they set, you've got that chewy, unctuous goodness. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything better. I mean, it really is. 
it, it is really dessert, a pudding from heaven. It's a gorgeous treat. So there we go. That's my thought of the week. That's one of the best foods in the world, dot, 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 is the home style marshmallow treat. So I don't know about you, but this time of year, when it's a little hot, I mean, sometimes you feel like a beer. I mean, sometimes you feel like a little cocktail. I mean, I love orange squash, orange barley water. Robinson's is, is wonderful. But I do like a little bit of a cordial, elixir, a wonderful elixir. And I was thinking about sort of rose petal. Spring petal foraging is, is, is I think, something I, you know, I'm always walking the dogs, but I feel I might get into foraging a little bit more. Uh, I, I think this is, is something that could be rather delicious and delightful to do uh, as spring moves into summer. But there's a lovely, lovely little article in Difford's Guide by Sarah Watson, The Bartender's Guide to Foraging. And roses are said to be one of the world's best love flowers. All rose flowers are edible, and there's a long history of their consumption going back several thousand years. Their aromatic, vividly floral, earthy notes with a hint of sweetness, spice, bitterness introduce elegant, exotic flavors to cocktails and drinks. Summer is the peak time to collect rose petals, although flowering can uh, start in late spring. Our diets enhance mainly uh, many rose family fruits such as strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, apples, cherries, plums, damsons and sloes. The fragrant petals of roses themselves will be used for jam, jelly, syrup, rose water and to flavor sweets and desserts, vinegars and tea spice and spice blends. Rose petals contain minerals and antioxidants and rose extract is said to soothe headaches, help digestion, reduce stress and improve moods. There's a hundred species of rose. Uh, there are shrubs of climbing woody plants, single roses, have petals uh, held in cup shape, ornamental, semi-double uh, and double blossoms have more. The leaves consist of five, seven or nine leaflets arranged in pairs for a terminal leaflet, a thorny or prickly stem. I mean, you don't want a prick in your tongue. I mean, that would be absolutely awful. In Britain, the ro dog rose, the Rosa canina, um, is the most common of all the delicate pink or white native wild roses. Which, uh, and you can scramble through the hedgerows, woodland edges through much of Europe. And the flowers are not strongly fragrant. Um, or you could look out for the attractive, usually bright pink, highly scented flowers and large tomato-like hips of the Japanese rose, the Rosa rugoso, uh, known as the beach rose, native to East Asia, but naturalized over most of Europe and parts of the US. So that's the Japanese rose, the Rosa rugosa. And it's a slightly elongated pink flower that I'm looking at here. Rose pairs well with citrus, elderflower, strawberry, raspberry, pomegranate, cucumber, cardamom, pink pepper, mint fizz, honey almonds, chocolate, vanilla. It's like if you overdo it, it can be like drinking perfume, though. It is said the Romans made wine with rose petals and roses still used in country wines. Hendrix gin has been infused with strongly fragrant damask rose with the recent rise of floral, botanicals and gin and spirits following suit. Among them are the Scottish Apothecary Rose Gin and Tincture Rose Gin. And there's an organic uh, Cornish Gin as well. Uh, and Kettle One's Grapefruit and Rose is a, is a, is a vodka note. Um, so when collecting rose petals for syrup infusions or rose water, choose a fragrant rose type that hasn't been sprayed with chemicals. Pick flowers that have opened and look fresh clean take only the petals leave the rest of the flower 
mean uh, rose hips may be produced later in the year. Laying the petals on a tray outdoors for about half an hour should allow any lingering insects to escape. Uh, using cultivated wild rose petals as pretty garnish or even fresh, dry, crystallized or frozen in ice cubes are absolutely delicious as well. To make petal syrup, layer handfuls of fresh rose petals, 500 grams of white granulated sugar, massage the rose petals gently with the sugar until they start to soften and bruise and cover and leave for four days. Add the sugar and petals to a pan of 400 milliliters of water, zest of lemon, gently heat the liquid, stirring until the sugar dissolves. Uh, bring to the boil and simmer until the syrup thickens a little and then you can strain off the petals but also re also remember this uh, from our from our good friend percy grower when foraging keep to public footpaths if you're on private land always use good field guides and identify your finds to 100 percent certainty before eating them if in doubt leave it out so the joys of uh, a little bit earlier in the week being pretty sick um, a lot of throwing up. I'm not going into too many details here, but the thing is, when you after the, the day after throwing up, it does feel like you have tighter abs, tighter abs. I know we talked about the dog leash abs yesterday, but I, I think this is a true. When you think about it, if you're in the desert and you're looking for water and your tongue's hanging out and you're drooling and you can't find water, you often see like a, a oasis of water or something along those lines, and. Uh, and, and, and there's nothing there. But I do feel like when you throw up, it's almost like a fitness mirage. It's like a fitness oasis that isn't really there. And it feels like you've worked out, but in fact, you've just eaten a whole pizza. So the fantastic singer-songwriter Elton John admits Crocodile Rock was written as a joke. Elton John doesn't think that Crocodile Rock actually rocks. The iconic singer is getting ready to restart his Farewell Yellow Brick Road tour, uh, but there's one song that he will not be shedding any tears over. He never has to sing again. Although the song gave him his first number one hit in 1972, it's certainly not top of his prolific musical pile. The last time I have to sing Crocodile Rock, I'll probably throw a party. It was written as a joke, like a pastiche, and became a big hit, and people loved to sing along. So when, who am I to say I'm not going to play it? Uh, because I play to amuse and entertain people. But I have to say, when the last show is done, at the end of the tour, I'll never, ever sing that song again. He continued, I don't mind not being able to get away from your song, because it's a really nice song, and I don't get fed up with singing it. Uh, on not being comfortable with himself on screen, I never watch a show I've done on television I've been on, because for years I just like looking at myself. I just don't have a good body image uh, type of thing. And it's been a problem of mine ever since I was a kid. When I saw Rocketman, it was very emotional for me as it looked like me and sounded like me. I can actually watch that movie uh, because it's an actor obviously playing me. So there we go. He doesn't like, uh, he doesn't like the, uh, the piano strains of Crocodile Rock. We all have our favorite Elton songs. Uh, Crocodile Rock isn't one of mine. I mean, I love Tiny Dancer. Love I'm Still Standing. Uh, love the duet with Kiki D as well. Don't go breaking my heart. But it has to be Benny and the Jets for me. Shopping in America is a lot of fun. It's sometimes confusing uh, on the old grocery line. Because uh, first of all, if I'm ever asking for something, uh, if I say water, then uh, some Americans think I'm saying wah wah. I mean, that's, that's the biggest one. Don't get me on to uh, aluminium versus aluminum, as I said earlier on. That's another one. Tomato, tomato. I think we can get along with that. 
And I do not say potato as much as many people think that I probably should be saying potato, but it's obviously potato. Uh, but, but something that's even more subtle than that is, and I found this the other day when I was shopping, and we were trying to decide uh, we needed some blue cheese. And I said, we were looking for the blue cheese. And I mean, she said, look, we need blue cheese. I said, well, here's some gorgonzola. It's Italian blue cheese. No, we need blue cheese. It is Italian blue cheese. <laughs> Without a doubt. It's Italian blue cheese. It's, 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 there's no doubt. Well, now it has to be blue cheese. It doesn't say blue cheese on there. It's blue cheese. I promise you. It's Italian. It's a rich, slightly pungent, more than slightly pungent, blue cheese. Gorgonzola. Gorgonzola is a blue cheese, although it doesn't always say blue cheese on the labar. Welcome along to the show. Welcome along to the program today. It's your guys, guys, your host, Chappie. And uh, we're going to have a lovely game here today. It's uh, What's in Chappie's Dryer? All right, so what's in Chappie's Dryer? Uh, well, you, anybody who's been listening to the podcast will probably know that uh, my corgi likes to put things in the dryer. So we're going to have a little little game today of, uh, of what's in my dryer. Uh, we, I think we've got three or four items of what's in the dryer. And, uh, and, it, and it's for you, the audience. You can put answers on a postcard. We're old fashioned to, to Chappy Towers of what's in my dryer. And uh, I, will, uh, I will give you a little bit of time. And then I'll obviously reveal all at the end of the program or the beginning of next week's show. Right, so we have the native sound of our dear dryer. That's the, that's the native sound of the dryer going. There's nothing in the dryer at the moment. As you can hear, it's, it sounds like one of Fred Flintstone's automobiles here. That is the, uh, that's the sound of the dryer. So that's the native sound. of the dryer so the first round of what's in chappie's dryer here we go so the dryer's going all right we're gonna we're gonna add add to the dryer right now first round of what's in Chappie's dryer okay so if you're keeping score and you've and you've, you've basically uh, if you got your bingo card here uh, we're not giving a chance for any more for uh, what's in Chappie's dryer number one so the answer we have the answer to what's in Chappie's dryer number one the first round so waiting with absolute bated breath here of what's in the dryer and what's in the dryer the first round What's in the dryer first round? It was Uncle Francis's slightly cosmetically damaged dentures. I repeat, Uncle Francis's slightly cosmetically damaged dentures. Okay, coming up now, a little bit of a drum roll. We have the second round of What's in Chappie's Dryer. So the second round of What's in Chappie's Dryer. Pray silence as we start, as we start the dryer. Okay, we've got the dryer going. 
the wheels are turning, the cogs are cranking, and we have the dryer going again. So we have the second round of what's in Chappie's dryer. So what do you think it is? Ear to the ear to the ground here, listening very closely. What's in Chappie's dryer, part two. So, in round two, what's in Chappie's dryer? I hope you were listening very, very carefully, very cautiously. So, we had in Chappie's dryer, round two, it was some of Beyond Borg's 1980 balls, tennis balls. Uh, or was it one or two? I think it was two. Was it like Hitler one or was it two? So it was Beyond Borg's, the tennis player, 1980 Wimbledon balls, tumbling and rumbling around in the dryer. We'll be back with Watson Chappie's Dryer very, very shortly on the podcast, but we now have Trample Trombone taking some of the most awful, heinous headlines and crimes of the week and equating them to a raspberry trombone or a fiery trump. So here we have uh, today's number one story, number one story on Trample Trombone, and it's, uh, it's, it's that Barack Obama says that UFO videos are indeed real and show movement that he cannot explain. Former U.S. President Barack Obama has admitted the videos of unexplained flying objects, UFOs, seen by Navy personnel are real and uh, with the objects showing no easily explainable pattern. Interest over UFOs have developed into a frenzy over recent months with several baffling videos. Pyramid-shaped UFOs hovering over the sky uh, near USS Russell. Uh, while another appeared to show a craft hurtling into the ocean without any signs of destruction in front of the USS Omaha. And Obama himself has now said he's equally perplexed what was going on the camera. He said in a James Corden interview to promote his new book, Promised Land, when it comes to aliens, there are some things I cannot tell you on the air. If UFO could be renamed to unidentified flying orifice, then it could have been Obama's successor flying an Air Force One. And a former MI5 chief has shared a hilarious story of Russian top-secret documents being eaten by squirrels. Baroness Manning and Buller uh, recalled the distress of a Russian intelligence officer discovering the destruction in a hollowed-out tree. Describing how times have changed, he said a young intelligence officer, I remember interviewing a Russian intelligence officer, who was distressed to discover that the papers in his carefully chosen dead letterbox, a hollowed-out tree, in which his agent was going to uh, store top-secret documents had been eaten by squirrels. Seems that MI5 were also preparing to hibernate as well as their squirrel spice friends, their real lack of intelligence. And the Loch Ness Monster's famous uh, elongated neck actually is a whale penis poking above the surface. Fans of the mythical Scottish sea serpent could have uh, been looking at pictures of gigantic whale whale penises all along, according to a new theory that uh, Nessie is just a long todger. Hmm. High, wide and handsome. And we're uh, welcome to the last round here of uh, Watson Chaffee's Dryer. So, okay, <clears throat> so we're in the last round. We've already had some tennis balls of Beyond Borgs. We've had Uncle Francis's uh, old false teeth. And uh, 
let's start up the dryer one more time. Okay, so we're starting the dryer up one last time here on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese to see what's in Chappie's, what's in Chappie's dryer. So let's get the, let's get the dry going here. Let's get it, uh, let's get it really fired up this time along. Okay, so, that, all right, so it's going. All right, we'll try this first. If that doesn't work, we'll try this first. Yeah, that's not really working here. So we'll, we'll try one more time. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put whatever item is now going into Chappie's dryer. What's in Chappie's dryer? Okay, so we had the last round of uh, what's in Chappie's dryer. What's in Chappie's dryer, the last round. So, what do you think was that sound that was spinning around? So we had the dryer going, and then this. So that was going on whilst the dryer was turning, whilst the wheels were turning, whilst the cogs were spinning. That was that was the sound. So what do you think was in Chappie's dryer? And I would like to reveal to you the item that was in Chappie's dryer. The flamethrower wasn't working, so I decided to put my creme brulee in the dryer, just trying to crisp up the sugar. Just trying to crisp up the sugar, it went into the dryer and it came out splattered custard everywhere. So uh, I think I am going to stick to the flamethrower in the, in the future instead of uh, putting my uh, decadent French creme brulee in the dryer, crisping up the shell. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's been rather lovely having you here, as always. Uh, I will be back again uh, next, uh, next Friday, next Saturday. That's the usual, uh, that's the usual sort of uh, routine of the podcast. It's always a Friday and a Saturday. And... Um, so there's many ways of listening to me. Uh, as I said, I try the conch shell. Uh, that's one way. Uh, but also across all platforms. And uh, there's a, uh, that's the audio version. And there's also a musical edition. A musical edition on Spotify. If you want to listen to the music. And I've got some Eurovision tunes. I've got a whole basket full of Yacht Rock uh, ending up the show today. We've got some Elton John. We've got some uh, uh, brand new heavies, Midnight at the Oasis, Beatles. I mean, it's a real musical emporium, a butler's musical emporium. Uh, it's like a lucky dip. You put your hand in and you could pull out a real winner. And the poem to finish, uh, an old favourite, I love John Betjeman, but a Solberton's love song. Miss J. Hunter Dunn, Miss J. Hunter Dunn, furnished and burnished by the older son, what strenuous singles we played after tea, we in the tournament, you against me. Love 30, love 40, O oh weakness of joy, the speed of a swallow, the grace of a boy. With carefulest carelessness, gaily you won. I'm weak from your loveliness, Joan Hunter Dunn. Miss Joan Hunter Dunn, Joan Hunter Dunn, how mad I am, sad I am, glad you won. The warm-handled racket is back in its press, but my shock-headed victor, she loves me no less. Her father's 
Enormous shines as we walk and swing past the summer house buried in talk and call the veranda that welcomes us to the six o'clock news in the lime juice and gin. The scent of the conifers, sound of the bath, the view from my bedroom of moss-dappled path as I struggle with double and evening tie for the dance at the golf club, my Victor and I. On the floor of her bedroom lie blazer and shorts and cream-coloured walls are betrophied with sports and westering questioning settles the sun over the low-leaded window Miss Joan Hunter done. The hillman is waiting, the lights in the hall, the pictures of Egypt are bright on the wall. My sweetheart, I'm standing beside the oak stair, and there you are landing the light on your hair. The road's not adopted by woodland ways, she drove to the club in late summer haze. In nine o'clock, Camberley, heavy with bells and mushroomy pinewoody, evergreen smells. Miss Joan Hunter Jun, Joan Hunter Dunn, I can hear you from the car park, the dance has begun. Oh, Surrey twilight, importunate band, oh, strongly adorable tennis girl's hand. Around us, rovers and austins afar, above us, the intimate roof of the car, and here on my right is the girl of my choice, and with the tilt of her nose and the chime of her voice, and the scent of her rap and the words never say, and the ominous, ominous dancing ahead, we sat in the car park, till 20 to 1, and now I'm engaged to Miss Joan Hunter Dunn.